At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot and today we are going to be talking about water motion. And I am bringing on here Ben Hardenbeck. I hope I'm saying that name right. And he is one of the owners of Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System. And I really want to dive into this topic of motion and water motion. Um, Last episode, you heard me talk about the statistics that I have gathered on the North American Waterfowler app. And the way the system works over there, if you don't have an account, is you log your hunts after each hunt, and you include weather information, wind, whether it's sunny, cloudy, temperature, all of those types of information. And then at the end of the hunt, once you log it, it stores your information. And there's a filter system where you can go in and you can sort your hunts by sunny days, cloudy days and when you sort it by sunny days it'll show you all of your all of the hunts in which you've clicked sunny it'll show you a summary of all those hunts how many hunts you've clicked sunny and what all of your harvest data was for sunny days you can also do sunny days with no wind sunny days with mild wind sunny days with um, heavy wind sunny days with extremely heavy wind and you can go and play with it and you can also do things like Sunny days with wind between 13 and 20 miles an hour in any hunt in which a mallard was shot. Because some of this data I'm trying to look at, I want to filter out the teal. Because teal and wind and motion don't matter, as you guys know. And so what that allows me and those of you that use the North American Waterfowler app to do is to really dig into the data of are some of the standard beliefs in waterfowl hunting true or is it people's perception for years if you listen to the duck on podcast i have believed and i still believe that people humans and this isn't just in waterfowl hunting this is across the board have some personal experiences happen and then make a assumption about that experience and then broad brush it throughout their life. 
And I think that happens in waterfowl hunting. Um, I, I Some of those, what I think are myths, and it's so funny because when I say this, the response from people that I get is, well, from my experiences, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Your experience, my experiences may not, there's so many variables in our experiences to put the, your finger on exactly what the problem was and then come to the conclusion of, oh, well, this happens here. It's way harder than people do. And I'm guilty of this as well. Um, so when it comes to things like, man, sunny days are just better than when, when cloudy days. Some guys have told me they don't even go hunting on cloudy days. And, or, um, man, it's just the spinner. The spinner flared the duck. If you have a situation in which the spinner is flaring the duck, or you think that the spinner is flaring the duck, how do you know that that's exactly what took place? How do you know? Now, I would say the only way to really be able to tell is to have some data behind it. To say, all right, I'm, I'm seeing how the ducks are moving. I've got a spinner out, and the ducks are flaring. I go and I pull the spinner out, and now the ducks are not flaring. And it was obvious to me that that was what it, now you're going to have to repeat that over and over and over again, because even if mid hunt, if you have the spinner out, you pull it and you see a different, you, it, 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 your sample size is your sample size in those situations is so small that it's statistically irrelevant. So if you're out on a hunt and let's say you have four or five passes and the ducks just don't quite do it and you've got a spinner out there and, 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 and you just come to the conclusion like, hey, I think the spinner is flaring these ducks. And then you get that spinner out of there. And let's say you have four or five passes after you pull the spinner and the ducks are act better. And during that time frame, they act better. And now they're not flaring. Like, well, boom, that's what it was. It was a spinner. That's still only a sample size of 10, guys. Sample sizes of 10 are mathematically or scientifically irrelevant. Your sample size of 10 is irrelevant to come to drawing a real conclusion. Let's say that that happens on 10 different hunts. That's still only a sample size of 100. <clears throat> That's still or that is still statistically irrelevant. It's common knowledge to my understanding that to have anything, any sample size that can be used in any real way, you have to have a sample size of 1,000. And so, and I, I'm not here to, I know right now there are people that are shaking their heads, listening to this. I know, I know this is happening. I know that's fine. I, I, I don't want to, I'm trying to make a bigger point of um, our perceptions. And, and if you have come to the conclusion that late season spinners flare ducks, I'm not trying to argue you off of that point. Although I will say that's just I have pulled the spinner so many times, and I've and I have I just don't see things improve ever when I pull the spinner, and maybe I've done it sixty times. That's still completely irrelevant sample size. There is no way that I can get a big enough sample size for it to be relevant. 
So my, my point is like, is keeping an open mind on it. So I, I, I say I pulled the spinner about 60 times and I've never seen it improve anything. I still continue to pull it. I'm not going to come just to the conclusion that like pulling spinners don't help. So I'm never going to do it because in my 60 times, it hasn't helped. That's still such a small sample. That's my point. And so I think in, in life, it's really important to understand the sample size analogy so that we don't just believe things steadfast and make them truth. Like, like spinners scare geese. I promise you, I have shot geese under spinners on the river. I promise you I've done. I've got it on video. So not always. So just keeping your mind open to more of the stance of so far in my experiences, it seems like to me that late season ducks get weird, weird spinners. So I'm going to always be cognizant of that. I'm going to pull spinners at one of my first moves and, you know, but to, to, to just label it as a truth, <laughs> I put my spinners away in December. People say I put my spinners away. Someone who puts their spinner away in December ha believes that they have enough data to come to the hard, fast conclusion that spinners will never work in December. And I think that that is an improper way of thinking because I don't, I, I don't think you have enough data to really back that up. I use spinners in December all the time and I do great with them. So that, that as an example, another point, and again, I'm not trying to piss anyone off about spinners. I'm using it as an example, but on the North American waterfowler app, we're getting to the point where we have enough hunts logged that we're getting enough of a sample size for certain things for me to say it must be true. Now it is user data input. <clears throat> and anytime you get individuals logging data, you know, there's a user error in there and there's improper data, improper posting. And you, you know, you have to think about it. So you still have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Um, but it, I, I'm, I'm in the thousands now with this. And so now we do not have motion over there yet. That's one of the first things I want to do in this off season is get motion over there and we can find this stuff out. Cause I'm going to have the data. Once I have the data, you watch though. Once I have the data on all of this stuff and whether it changes my mind or not, people are still going to say it's not true. If, if I on the North American waterfowler app, if I include a section in there to report what kind of, what kind of motion you're using, and it shows me that in December, people shoot more ducks. Let's say I have 3,000 logs from people, and it shows that people shoot more ducks with spinners in December on hunts where mallards are killed than not. There are still going to be many, many people that say, well, that's not where I live. That may be true for you because people believe what they want to believe generally speaking, people believe what they want to believe and, and it doesn't matter. Data means nothing. Once people get to a certain point that they have made a, a piece of information, a part of themselves, then, then data is irrelevant to them. You can look at all through politics. You know, how, how many of those political videos do you see where someone lays down a, a hard statistical fact to the other person and the person ignores it? It like, doesn't, it doesn't move the, the uh, gauge at all on people. And that's how it's going to be when I get this data. It's not going to be that way for me. I, I try to hold to that. If, if I, 
if if after I get spinners on the app and I get, you know, a couple thousand hunts logged and it shows me that in December, people that use spinner, their success rate goes way down. I'm going to back way up on spinners. I'm not married to a spinner. I would love not to use a spinner. It's a pain in the butt. If I could never use a spinner, that'd be awesome. I just see ducks hover on top of them too often to not, to not use them. Um, but I do pull them. So, um, the verdict is in with some certain things though, over there on the app. As far as I'm concerned, the verdict is in, uh, sunny days versus cloudy days. The verdict is in, it does not make much of a difference. It makes 0.2 ducks per hunt different. That's not, that's okay. Let me take that back. I won't say that doesn't make any difference. It's better on sunny days, but not the way people make it out to be. People when people that are really into the sunny days thing, like I don't even go out when it's cloudy. That's wrong. We know that's wrong. 0.2 ducks per hunt different is not enough of a difference to not go out. So on the app, I've got well over a thousand, thousands of logs. And on sunny days, people shoot like 3.2 or something. On cloudy days, it's 3.0. So it's 0.2 ducks different, which is not nothing. So you will do better on sunny days. And I resorted that with only hunts where mallards were shot to see, like, is the teal data getting in the way of this to where there's so many teal hunts log that it's skewing it? I was really surprised by this. So I I sorted it by hunts in which mallards were killed. So any hunt in which someone killed one mallard hen or one mallard drake, it used that. So on a blue wing teal hunt where no mallards are killed, it's 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 kicking that data out and not using it. And I still had th- thousands of entries on this. And it didn't change. Sunny days versus cloudy days. On a sunny day, you're going to kill 0.2 more ducks a hunt. Uh, that That's average. So it's, 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 you know, it's a little bit, but not the way people make it out to be. The biggest factor is the wind. It's half a duck different. So if you have wind below five miles an hour versus any other wind, it is half a duck different a hunt, which, you know, used to get up to that half a duck difference. Now you're getting in the range of pretty significant in my books. Now, if you go to wind over 20 miles an hour in a hunt in which a mallard had been killed. And by the way, I did go sunny and cloudy on this and it did not seem to waver. So I did this search with sun and I did this search with clouds and it didn't seem to matter at all. Every search I did, whether I included teal or didn't include teal in it for the global community, it's about a half a duck difference. Now, like I said, when you go over 20 mile an hour wind with mallards involved, it's almost a full duck a hunt different. So, some of these things through the app and through all the data I'm collecting, um, we know now that the number one indicator on ducks is is wind. I can't find any other sort with any other variable, and I'm going to keep digging and trying because you can play with it a million different ways. If you want to play with this stuff, <laughs> download the app. I don't know of anyone out there that has this kind of data. If you know, let me know. I've been contacted by people doing um, college papers to use the data. I don't know of anyone that has this kind of data, this kind of in-depth data on it. And um, 
wind is the number one. Wind is the number one. Now, if you if you're on the app with me and and um, you're you're playing around with the filters and you find stuff, throw it at me because I I want to get into like, and I haven't done this one yet because people say sunny, cold, windy by far the best conditions, and I have not looked at that yet. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to do some sorting around with those conditions with any hunt a mallard drake has been killed because I want big ducks. I don't want teal in there and see because that people are steadfast. You ask person, you ask serious hunter, they're going to say most people, you give me a bluebird day, heavy wind, um, cold weather, and man, we're going to kill them. Well, and I haven't sorted that yet. So it's going to be interesting to look at. So point being is that wind condition is the number one factor and and we can debate why that is and i'm going to talk to ben about what his thoughts on it it's like is it because the water's glass or is it because the the wind affects the the duck's flight in some way i personally think that when when birds see glass water that's the worst you can get because when you see ducks in the water it's that's not still there's splashing there's quacking there, there's movement to me that's what it is that's the variable. And that's what's going to be so cool on the app when I get it in there so that you can sort by all hunts in which water motion has been used or hunts where spinner type of has been used or a pulsator. It's going to, you're going to be able to break it down. We're going to find this out. We're going to find it out because if we go to, once we get thousands of hunts on here with people using um, water motion and we will see what that no wind day looks like as far as harvest data. And I'm so, I can't believe I don't have that on there yet. It's going to happen soon. Um, so I have used jerk rigs in the past and I kind of gave up on it because I hated them. And the jerk rigs I used are um, string to you and then an anchor all the way out, like a long line. And you had like seven different ducks and in, in the hunt, you had to clip click on every single decoy clear out to the anchor and that whole process of putting the the clip through the hole of the duck man i could that thing always gets caught up in there always if you've ever done those little metal clips where you gotta click click a duck on uh to the jerky tell me that dumb little hook thing fits it just it fits going in coming out it's just a bitch and uh especially when it's cold and and there's so much line out there the dogs are always getting tangled in it i hated it I almost had given up, given up on it, quite honestly. And then motion ducks came along. And if you want the easiest possible solution, easiest to set up, easiest to carry, then the four duck system, because you leave the ducks clipped on all the time. That's the thing for me. You're not unclipping and clicking. Uncl it's, you leave those four on. So if you want a super quick and input, you cannot set up something quicker than that four duck system. You just can't set it up quicker than that. Now, I'm trying the ultimate this year. It's a little more comp. It's not complicated, but it's a little more set up, not like a regular jerk rig or anything. But once I started using the motion ducks, I, I okay, I, I'm I'm good with I'm I'm good with going back to to using jerk rigs because it doesn't make me just want to scream and poke my eyes out every time I use one. So, um we're going to have Ben on here and we're going to talk about um the process of that um in and all along this I don't want this to come off like an infomercial. I, I honest to God, I don't want this to come off like an infomercial. They are a partner to the program, to the pro program, but I want it to be informative. And I just want to really dive into this motion issue 
and and wind and, and that type of thing, which is what I'm trying to do. So um, if you do want to pick one after up after this, you can get 10% off at FDH10 um, at Motion Duck Sequence Better System. But um, if not, that's fine too. So we're going to really dig into this with Ben in a moment. Um, don't forget also finalapproachfabrand.com. That is um, also FDH10 where you can pick up uh, 10% off any of their stuff, which awesome company and on X hunt download that app there. So I think that's going to do it. I need to get Ben on here and we're going to talk about it. I got a little long winded on it, but honestly, these type of subjects I'm really passionate about. I'm really interested in. And so um, hope, hopefully this podcast will be something where it is informative to you, where we can really get into the, to the weeds on this topic. So uh, let's go ahead and bring Ben on here right now. All right, let's go ahead and bring on Ben Hardebeck from Motion Ducks Decoys. When you say the the full title of the name, I always say Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System, but you just call it Motion Ducks? Yeah, the company is called Motion Ducks. Right, right. So how, how's everything going? Very good, very good. How are you doing? Good. Right before I hit record, we were just talking about hunting seasons, which I really wanted to hit first and kind of hear how everything T tell the listeners where you're located and and go on and tell me about how your hunting season's going so far yeah so we are located basically in the middle smack dab in the middle of washington state um so moses lake specifically a lot of uh okay. it's farm country um a lot of birds come through a lot of birds move through it's a it's a great hunting area and yeah. uh yeah this year we've had we've had a couple of really good hunts but otherwise um it's been a slow start for sure i think it's warm up north still a little bit mm -hmm. and so we haven't seen the big push of birds last year by this point we were you know we were just killing them like crazy but a little slower right. but that's fine we, we got a lot of seasons so pacific flyway long season yeah for a while now i have felt like that washington is like well first of all do you guys get a lot of out-of-state pressure and a lot of people traveling to washington to hunt because my perception yeah, is though so. it doesn't get that much traffic i it's certainly not as much as other states but uh there's definitely a good amount you know there's a lot yeah. of different styles of hunting in washington you can go to the coast you can shoot sea ducks mm -hmm. you have you know the west side hunting differs quite a bit from east side hunting so you have, a, mm -hmm. in, and then you have a lot of, on the river systems, you have a lot of river style hunting. And so it's, there's a lot of different, uh, different styles of hunting. And then of course, all the corn uh, from all the farmlands right. and all of that. So I felt like it was a power state as far as duck hunting. And it maybe the, it, the, the hunting is better than the perception by the general population of duck hunters. Do you find that statement to be true? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, the hunting in Washington is is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. So tell me more about the you said the different styles. So sea duck hunting on the coast, are people using layout boats for that? If you were gonna sea duck hunt on the coast, how would that look hunt to hunt typically? Yeah, I mean there's a lot of different I've really only sea duck hunted really only once. Um mm -hmm. but I got some friends that do it quite a bit. And there's some different methods. Some sometimes you can just go you know, find a spot on the beach and, or kind of on a rocky area and, you know, throw some decoys out and hunt that style. You can do, um, 
you know, you can do like kayak style, layout boat style. Mm -hmm. And honestly, mm -hmm. sometimes you can just go throw decoys out behind your, behind your motorboat. And uh, a lot of really? times you'll get, you'll get action. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. What it's kind of, different... what kind of ducks typically would you kill? What, what's the average, the main species you'd kill doing that out there? Um, what are the, so you have like your common, I mean, your, your common sea ducks, um, you're going to have, you know, you're going to shoot some golden eye, some, um, what's the, what's the one, like the primary sea duck, the trophy like bird eiders? is your, yeah, there's some eiders. Um, your trophy bird is going to be like your harlequin. Uh, that mm -hmm. is, but that's been closed the last few seasons. They shut that down. I don't know if the numbers are down or what, but, um, mm. yeah, no, sea duck hunting isn't, isn't something that I, I mean, I'd love to do more of it. We're, we're quite a ways from the coast. Now we used to be closer. My brother-in-law, he hunts sea ducks a lot. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, it's definitely a different style. It's, it's way different. Yeah. Do they have a reputation for, for taste as far as, are they really good? Are they really bad or? You know, That's I don't, I don't actually know. I don't know on the taste. Mm -hmm. I know they're typically tough birds. You know, yeah. I know that they can be, they can be big, hard to bring down, but taste wise, I don't know. I've never eaten one, so it's hard to say. Yeah. And then you say there's a lot of river hunting. What, what are the rivers like? Are those deep rivers? Are they sandy rock bottom mixture of all? Uh, and is that typically a boat blind hunting event for people yeah, so the, hunt on the rivers there? Yeah, there's certainly like sloughs and, and, back eddies and stuff you can hike into and hunt. I mean, really, honestly, everything you can imagine hunting on a river, you can do, um, right. you can, there's, there's rivers you can float, you know, kayak float down and hunt that style. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the primary way that we've done it is with a boat, um, out, you know, go find, uh, a, a shoreline that is, you know, has got some natural cover and go tuck mm -hmm. in and, um, yeah. And then shoot what's coming by. In fact, the first place we ever tested our spreader when we created it was on a part of the Columbia River. It's mm -hmm. one of the dammed off lakes um, called Rufus Woods. And and that was one of the very first places we ever, and that was that exact style. We found this little, you know, this cover on the bank. We threw out our, our decoy spreader and that was the first place we ever used it was that style of hunting. Mm -hmm. And are those rivers normally fairly shallow or do they, are they channelized in deep? Oh yeah. I mean that, that river, that that's the Columbia. That's enormous and very deep. Okay. And so, uh -huh. you know, you're trying to find, um, which is why oftentimes you, you know, you can't really hunt it without a boat and mm -hmm. retrieving ducks can be tricky. So you gotta, you gotta either have a good dog or a kayak to get out there quick. Cause man, if you shoot the duck and it lands, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 yards out into the river. It's just, it's just going by. Yeah, it's got a good flow to it, right? <laughs> yeah. And you well, what, what are the see, river? Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, up there at Rufus Woods, you know, there can be blinds every three, 400 yards down the shoreline. And oftentimes you'll see a decoy floating mm. by out there. And, uh, <laughs> it can be so is that all private then? That was going to be what when No, no, that's all. Is, at least that section is um, is public. There's a lot of public land 
on the rivers for sure. I'm sure, I'm sure some of it's private, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of that. We've got really strict river laws here in Kansas. There's only a couple of rivers that um, you can float without, with, without permission. And it's the Kansas River and the Arkansas River and, and the Missouri that comes up against Kansas. If you can get into it, it's fair game. But every other river, if you get on it, you have to have permission to, from people that own both sides of the river all the way down so it's impossible you can't oh, you can't wow. float a, a river uh this just there's no way you could legally do it because you would literally have to have permission of both sides the entire way so it's like wow no it just now people still do it sometimes but it's not legal at all so you have to if you're yeah. gonna hunt a river you really have to have permission on one side of one little spot and you keep your decoys on that half and then you have that little that, but but our creeks and rivers are are not that great at duck hunting. I mean, there are some oh. that are, and like the Kansas can be pretty good, and the Arkansas can be pretty good. But like our smaller ones, they're not like it's not like you're dying to get down into them, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. Some of the rivers around here are are just awesome. They're very very good. Yeah. A lot of birds. A lot of birds. Okay. So how, how does your migration typically work out there? When does, when does the, well, do you have ducks year round there or do they like in, in Kansas where I'm at, we lose all ducks except a few little wood ducks. And then we've okay. got starting with the blue wing teal. There's a progression of migration where you go from blue wing teal to all mallards, Canada geese and golden eye by the end of the year. What, what is Washington's migration pattern look like? Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to that. We definitely, in our area, we definitely keep a good amount of local ducks. I mean, there'll be ducks on our property pretty much and in the area pretty much all year. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to be mostly, mostly mallard, um, some teal mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's similar. It's similar. In fact, before season starts, we have on some of our ponds, we have probably about 12 or 13 pairs of cinnamon teal wow. that nest on our property. So that's really fun mm -hmm. watching them. And then they're yeah. always gone before season. They're, they're like one of the first to leave. And then we will see blue wing teal come in before season. They'll come and go. And we don't have an mm -hmm. early teal season here. So we don't have an opportunity to shoot anything early like that. And uh, so we'll see the, the blue wing teal come and go typically. And then, yeah. And then, you know, a, a lot of our local stuff early on is like gadwall, um, mallards, teal. When do you guys open up? You we guys open, open up October, middle November? Of October. Okay. Yeah, middle of October. Yep. So then you have all the basic puddle ducks and they kind of filter through and then you get at the yep. end of the year where it's just solid mallards by the end of the year? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, last year was such a weird year. We froze really, really early and then everything pushed mm -hmm. through like really quick. And our January was was terrible for ducks. And uh, mm -hmm. we got out a couple times goose hunting um, with some friends and did okay. But the the duck hunting was and that was our first full year here in this area right. uh, but yeah typically that's that's how it works you get the big push of mallards there at the end this last batch of ducks that came through we shot a bunch of widgeon and uh, we were one off of our pintail limit so mm -hmm. that was uh that was kind of neat seeing seeing new birds at least coming through instead of you know shooting the gadwall and teal 
like normal early season. Right. You guys have a lot of widgeon, don't you? Yeah, a lot of widgeon. If we yeah. don't. I wish we did, but we we do not. I, I shoot. Mallards is my is my number one shot duck. Blue wing teal is second, and then green wings and gadwall. And then after that, it's oh, just really? like a spattering okay. of like that's everything. And then I'll have like four pintails, three widgeon, okay. two wood ducks, you know. But if anything with any kind of substance, I always want to hit like if I can hit fifty mallard drakes, I'd be thrilled. And I'll be in the like this year. I think I've got thirty three blue wings, twenty two green wings, um, thirteen gadwall. That's kind of the distribution. Oh, okay. Um, let me let me. I actually have them. my. Uh, let's see. So. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This will be this will be interesting. Let me pull my numbers up. Yeah, while while from, you're pulling that up, here, here's the next thing I want you to, to thoughtfully consider while you're pulling this up is I'm curious as I've heard the whole origin story of motion ducks from when I was on the duck on podcast and, and how it kind of got started, but I don't recall talking about uh, you guys must have, and I, I want to get back to your data before you answer this, but you must have had seen a huge need for motion on the water. So I'm curious yeah. about what was the process? What happened when you guys are hunting and you're like, Oh man, we need, this this is this is a problem we need to fix it and you go out and make the spreader systems that that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. i'm curious okay i'll answer about. that let me just i'll tell you so last year we had mallards were number one and then teal were number two gadwall were three and widgeon were four mm-hmm. so that was kind of our our uh Rankings. And the Widgeon and Gadwall were somewhat comparable, though? It wasn't a big drop uh, off? Yeah, very close. Very close within about 10 birds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And do you guys, and we're going to talk more about your property. I'm really interested about that. But do you guys, now that you have this property that you've developed, is that where all your duck hunting takes place? Or do you hunt that your property and other places as well? 
So last year, our first year here, it was pretty much all we hunted. We went on a couple of goose hunts outside the property. Um, but this year we have some hunts planned mm. off property for sure. I mean, you know, we, uh, we primarily have been, you know, kind of that public land, get out there and battle for your spot, get up early kayaks, yeah. you know, yeah. boats uh -huh. to kind of gain the advantage type hunter, which, you know, mm -hmm. so many people are. Right. So this, this whole private property thing is pretty new to us. So you know, last year was pretty exciting, <laughs> very easy to just wake up and, you know, jump in the six wheeler and go down to the blind. So I've always won. I'm so glad I get to ask you this question. Cause I've wondered this. So being a public land duck hunter, I say that I, I hate the rat race, but I think I'm addicted to the adrenaline rush of the rat race of yeah. beating people out and all that stuff. And I've always wondered, I would love to have a property like your guys, but I've always wondered if my motivation would, my desire would drop a little bit because of how hard you have to to scratch and, and claw to shoot public land ducks, if somehow it would affect my motivation. Have you seen any type of desire motivation drop now that you don't have to compete with any of that? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think, you know, I think if I, if I kind of think about last year, there is a different mindset. You know, there's, there's kind of the opportunity to say, okay, how can we, be effective but simplify it enough so that day-to-day -day is easier and that's right. a really unique component because before it's you know you're thinking like what do i need to do to get <laughs> yeah. out there reorganizing a further, everything all the time right <laughs> yeah get a little further get in a little uh -huh. earlier you know what gear can i add what cart can i add backpack can i get a kayak yeah, yeah, you know you're yeah. thinking differently uh-huh so yeah. the mindset now is like okay can we, should we buy, you know, three dozen more decoys to keep them at these blinds so we don't have to move mm -hmm. decoys around, you know? So it, it is definitely yeah, yeah. a different mindset. It's fun. It's, you know, cause man, you just, it's so easy, which is so different for us. Yeah. But, um, you know, As older there's... I get, I, I can see more and more the joy and easier. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's easy. It's definitely easy. Yeah, it's a, it's a, just a different style of hunting, which is something we've just never, never had access like mm -hmm. that before. And so yeah. to have it is, is I, you know, I'm, I'll, I definitely will say it's a, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. there is still kind of a little bit of that itch to say, okay, you know, go out in public land. And there is something there is something different about shooting a limit on public land versus shooting a limit you know, right here on our property, because, you know, it is a little easier. And when mm -hmm. you work hard for it and, you know, you get out there and you grind and then you bring back your seven birds is, you know, it, it makes it a special day for sure. Maybe the highs are higher and the lows are lower on public yeah. land, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, here when there's a low, you know, if we haven't pulled the trigger by 7 30 we just jump on the six wheeler and we're back home in five minutes you know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you don't have to pack uh, out and load up all your uh, gear spend two hours getting out of there you know yeah so that's cool yeah and if you want to just leave the decoys just leave the decoys and head back out later on in the day and pick them up so yeah it's too easy to honestly worry about it's too easy you. Well, yeah. that's cool we're i want to yeah. talk more about that in a little bit in the development okay. side of it how you guys fell into it and the move and the development and all of that. But I want, I do want to jump into, um, the spreader system. Uh, 
And so at what point did you decide or how, how, how did this first get started? Like I said, you must have seen some type of gap, sometimes some type of hole problem that needed to be filled. So how at the inception did this thing get started? So the idea came, I was hunting by myself on a small pond and it was a pretty slow day. I had shot one bird and I was using just a standard jerk string. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was just kind of thinking about, I, I don't know, I was just thinking and super slow is boring and there just wasn't a lot of action. So I'm just sitting there pulling on this thing, looking at it, thinking, man, this just doesn't look realistic at all. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just birds, single right. file moving back and forth. And I thought, I actually thought to myself, there's got to be something better than this. And mm-hmm. so after the hunt, I, I had a couple ideas in my mind what that would look like. And, but then I thought when I got home, I thought this has got to exist. There's got to be something out there. And I started searching online and I'm like, wow, nothing really nothing really does this, what I had in my mind. And so and you had already had the idea of, of the, of, of how it was going to look right off the bat with the little I don't know, X or cross and, and four. Yeah. Birds. So like you already had initi- that. Like, I bet this would work. Yeah. So initially I had pictured like a grid, almost like a triangle grid of decoys. Mm-hmm. And so I went home and I built one and it, there was a cross in the middle and I put four decoys on the outside of this kind of triangle grid cross thing. Mm-hmm. And it was very similar to the spreader, but eventually after some, you know, working on it and some development, uh, be- with my dad and I, we, we realized, oh, we don't actually need the outside bars. Let's just use the middle bars, that middle X bar right. and mm-hmm. simplify <laughs> it that much more. And <clears throat> So to back up a little bit, I, I got done with that hunt. I went online and I looked and there wasn't anything out there. So I thought, well, I'll just build something. I could use PVC. It should be pretty easy. So I built something and I threw it in my hot tub and I was playing around with it. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, man, I think this could actually work. And that was only like, I don't know, maybe a, a week, 10 days before Christmas that year. And so I, I made a second one and I wrapped it all up for Christmas and I gave it to my dad as a Christmas present. And I mm-hmm. said, and he opens it. He's like, what in the world is this? And I said, I said, just let's just go throw it. He lived on, on a lake at that point. And I said, let's just go throw it in the lake and look at how cool this thing looks when you pull it. And so we threw it in the lake and he was like, man, that's pretty neat. So we developed it a little bit further, got rid of the, the bars, took it out hunting. And the first time we ever hunted with it was just like, we had a couple of buddies. So we were hunting downriver um, with, I don't know, five, six, seven dozen decoys, lots of decoys out the spinners, everything. And we said, well, let's just try just our spreader and just see, let's just try this thing. So we took just a spreader and two other decoys, 300 yards upriver, set it up, and the ducks just started dumping mm-hmm. in to that motion. And we were like, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we really started working on it, developing it, thinking maybe we have something here that is legitimate. And uh, so after developing it and everything, hunting with it a couple of more times that year, we were like, let's, let's, 
to make some and see if see if people want them. And uh, yeah, yeah, and moving on from there. I was talking about it on the intro, and for me, I I was almost done with jerk rigs because the the problem that I have is the little metal clips. They're easy to put a decoy on, but when it comes to because all the decoys have that little hole. Yeah, and yeah. once you put a clip on, it's great. It, but taking the clip out is a pain in the <laughs> butt. I don't know whether terrible. I just don't do it right. It's such a pain. And so with a traditional jerk rig, I would agree it, it never looked real. Decent job of getting motion on the water. It never yeah. looked real. But my biggest complaint was it was taking those ducks off of the clips every single hunt. Yes. On, off, on, off, on, off. And I absolutely detested that. And you're dealing with a lot more, a lot more string. You yeah. have a lot, so it's a lot yeah. more for the dog and people to get tangled in. So I was having tangles on cold days at the end of a hunt, trying to take those little clips off. And and we loved mid hunt. If, if we see 200 yards down is where we need to be, we want to be able to move fast. And so a traditional jerk rig, it's not you cannot move it fast. No. It's it's a process to it. And yep, I was yep. literally, I was just about done with that thing until, and I've mostly, I've used the ultimate sum and the ultimate is that you put two together and it's yep. got seven and feel free to expand on it a little bit, but for, and I'm going to try it more this year, but mostly I've used just four because mm-hmm. talk about ease of use. That's yeah, so easy. All you do is you grab the, and I use an actual, I put an anchor. I don't use anchor bags when I have rock. So I just attach an anchor to the, okay. to the cord. Yeah. And I stomp it. That's so, but you're unclipping that, which is easy. You're wrapping it up. You're unclipping the little cord and that's it. Those four ducks. It's like what? Five seconds to grab those and, Mm -hmm. and you throw them over your shoulder and walk. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing for me. It's, it's definitely an advantage that it looks realistic. And I like that, but I was so fed up with jerk rigs that, uh, that I just wasn't even using them. I hated them so much. Yeah, I think so the, that was I, the thing that I loved. I think the idea like was spawned out of wanting it to look realistic, but the consequence of what we designed simplified a jerk rig so much. Cause I agree. Mm-hmm. I hated setting up jerk rigs. And that day I set it up, I set it up out of a boat. So, you mm-hmm. know, with the boat, I'm trying to row back and yeah. feed the line and hook the decoys up and chuck them over and row back a little more. And, you know, but with the spreader, your decoys are already attached and you can set your anchor, hook the spreader or hook your anchor line to the middle pocket, chuck it in the water. It could just sit there like other decoys. Right. You know, you don't even have to. That was another thing. When the wind kicks up, if you don't want to work your jerk line anymore, you can just unclip your uh, your pull cord, wrap your handle up and the, your decoys can stay out for you. They can keep right. running with it with a jerk string. You know, you can't let tension off of that line. Otherwise, it just becomes a mess. And so that was just a total bonus that it simplified and made the process of you putting that motion in your spread so much easier. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was that's awesome because I'm I'm on the same page with you, man. Those work in jerk lines all the time with that string. It's brutal. And then when you get a right. knot, it's just like chuck it. Yeah. Or a dog gets into it a and dog, it's yeah. just, oh my gosh. And another, another advantage with it is that you don't, sometimes if, if, if I feel like I'm having problems being hidden, I will hold tension on it 
And then if mallards are low circle, I just let go. Mm-hmm. And then the ducks all move in one place. And that motion right there can hold itself while the ducks are circling. You know, it's not like you have to way less action has to be done with your arm than a jerk wig, which I find that yes. really, really nice. And, and so sometimes the mallards will circle, they'll get kind of way and I'll get that tension in it again. Let go at the right time. They all move like a flock. And I really, really enjoy that. I went on a hunt a couple days ago and I had the whole spreader system with me. We were walking into this area that it was a snowy day. It was kind of a, a little ice hole and there was no wind, flat wind. And so I had the whole spreader with me and the kid that I was, the kid I was coming in with, um, he had like a couple dozen decoys, but I was just going to advise like all, all I want to use is these seven, these seven ducks because we had a heavy snow. And so we were having to, well, let me take a step back. I forgot the anchor and, and I was so mad at myself because we had massive flocks of mallards circling us all day, like Ooh, yeah. 40 birds. We were having to, to kick snow off of our decoys. Like every 15 minutes, we were having to walk out, knock snow off the decoys. We, we cut the spread down to a, just a couple dozen ducks. But if I had had my anchor, I would have been like, we're going to use the seven decoys. With the motion, you could have kept snow off them. Yeah. Just with the motion itself, yeah. we had completely flat water. I mean, we had no motion on the water. And I'm thinking, I guarantee you, if we had had that where we weren't having to go kick snow off every 15 minutes, we had motion on the water, we would have seen a massive difference. Because these flocks, they were working us. We just, were, we just were, weren't able to get them. We landed like one. But it just wasn't working with the snow on the decoys and, yeah. and the flat yeah. water. And I'm like, this would have been the most perfect situation yeah, no anchor. Anchors in my boat. I was, <laughs> yeah. but like I said, I still threw them out there. There was no wind, so I still threw them out there and used them like decoys. But you, I was really got, annoyed by that. If if you have rocks in the area, you can uh, take your sock off and fill it with rocks. We've done that right. before. I had another guy tell me, he's like, "Man, put your spinner pole in and just tie it to your yeah, spinner yeah, pole." Yeah, you could put your put because I had a pole. Shallow I was like, Why did I not think of that? Yeah, if it's shallow enough, just put a pole in the ground. Right. I should have done that. So um, let let me get your opinion on this. So I I went through on the intro, I went through this whole spiel about success when there's wind and no wind. And I I like um, water motion the best when the the wind is below six miles an hour, like zero to five. I find that when it's just a glass look and no motion, that is a death to killer killing yes. mallards and killing big ducks. But my question, and I don't know the answer to this. Do you on, on when on days where there's no wind, do you think that the birds are more difficult to get to finish because the water, there's no motion on the water or and it's probably a combination of both. Or do you think it's because like with wind in the air birds, because there's wind, it somehow makes it easier for them and more likely for them to come into the decoys just because there's wind that they're flying in. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've thought, I certainly thought a lot about this because, you know, birds definitely seem to fly, you know, they definitely seem to be going somewhere when there's no wind, right? Like yeah, you'll right. see them up there and it's just like, well, they ain't coming to us, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> right. uh, and so I think with wind, I think it's it's probably, I, I don't know if it's more difficult for them to fly, 
but certainly like where we are, the, the, the main big body of water, which is Moses Lake and the, the potholes reservoir, when there's wind, that gets pretty choppy. And when there's no wind, there will be thousands of ducks just chilling on the water. And I think right. what happens as far as moving the birds off of the big water, the wind certainly helps. So those mm -hmm. birds maybe are looking for, um, you know, looking for some water, a little calmer, smaller areas. But as far as coming in, uh, I, I definitely think it's harder to it's harder to decoy birds when there's no wind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. We just the two week ago hunt where we shot the pintail and uh, and widgeon and mallards. There it was like fifteen mile an hour winds and it was like laughable. They were just right in our face, just hovering. Right, wind perfect right. at our back. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was like ideal. And these ducks are just hovering, you know. And uh, so wind, I mean, wind matters a lot, definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably a combination of everything, you know, mm -hmm. that easier to fly there. I don't know. They're traveling when there's no wind right. for sure. Right. So I've got, I, I, I think you're, I think we've talked about it before. I had an app made. It used to be called Freelance Hunt Stats. Now it's called the North American Waterfowler. Um, and it's a tracking app where you just log all the information from your hunt. You log um, weather variables and all of that. So let me let me read you the data that I've got um, from from this app. It allows you to sort by different filters. So I can okay. tell you how many people on this site have logged a hunt with no wind and what their harvest data is. I can't go in and look at any individual persons, but it like it summarizes. Them oh, this is like collective. Collectively. Now oh, I can see cool. my own as well, but I can also see the collective numbers. Okay, cool. So on days where there is wind below, so zero to five, people average 3.0 ducks per hunt. Okay. And if it's light wind and I call a light wind six to 12, then the average is 3.4. So from that, it goes up 0.4 ducks a hunt. When you add a win between six and 12, when you go to 13 to 20, and these are, I should have said, these are thousands of hunts. So the first one was 9,000. Um, it's like, we're, we're into the thousands here. So it's not okay, just a okay. few hunts. Um, so the wind climbs up to 13 to 20, and this is 3,400 hunts. It goes to 3.6 birds per hunt. Okay. And then when you go at a heavy wind at 20 plus, this is 980 hunts. It goes to 4.0. So the difference between no wind increases. and wind over 20 is a full bird per hunt. Wow. Which that's a ton. I mean, a whole that's bird a per hunt. That's a lot. Now, conversely, if you go, because a, a lot of people are really into sunny versus uh, cloudy days. Mm -hmm. And it's only no matter how you sort it and no matter what the temperature and variables are and the wind variables are, it's sunny versus cloudy is only a 0.2 ducks per hunt difference hmm. so there's not a whole lot of difference on like a sunny versus a cloudy day but the number one variable that i can find with all of these hunts is is wind is wind and yeah that's yep. interesting and, it's and it's interesting that even up into like 20 miles an hour it gets that much better right yeah right that's, that's surprising I, to me because I would have yeah. thought it was 13 to 20 was the sweet spot. Yeah, that's what, what I, I would thought. thought. I thought maybe it would have dropped a little bit once it gets past 20 because that's that's ripping. It is. And the shooting gets way harder. It gets way harder. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. 
So I, I am absolutely convinced that the only thing I really care about when I'm looking at the weather, the only thing I really care about is the wind. If mm-hmm. I see that zero to four, I'm like, oh man. And, and soon I'm going to add this. I can't believe I haven't added it yet. I'm going to add a section for motion. So you will yeah, be able to record and I'm probably going to break it up just like water motion. I, I don't think I'll yeah. be able to. I could go in and put like individual products, but it'll probably just be easier to be like water motion spinners, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and within a year or two, we're going to have some serious data around how much of an improvement you see when you have water motion. And I, I believe yeah. it's going to prove what, what you and I already know is what I believe. Um, I think that I mean, water, water motion is the number one indicator number one. that helps you succeed especially on no wind days. I think we're going to see those numbers bump. Yeah. I think in in our experience, I think the two situations, this is what we tell people when we're pitching our product basically, but this is comes from experience, the calm days, putting water motion. And then secondly, what we found when you're hunting really educated birds, that water Mm -hmm. motion. And at least, you know, for our system, it creates very like natural looking and realistic kind of decoy motion. So not everything's moving right. the same. Some are moving a lot, some are moving a little bit. That makes sense. But man, we have seen such a a huge effect on really educated birds. So areas hmm. late season and areas that get high pressure, it seems we've had hunts, late season hunts where it felt like opening day. The birds just felt mm-hmm. dumb again. When we were hunting only motion, we'd put no static decoys at all. And, you know, going to like sportsman shows and talking to customers and getting feedback. We've gotten that feedback a lot. I hunted late season. The, the birds are really smart. I put just the spreader out and, and killed it. And so, hmm. so I think, uh, I think those two situations has, has been in our experience, what we've heard the most feedback from, um, about, you know, what that water motion and, and, uh, yeah. and our spreader. That's really interesting. I can tell you that I need to play around with that because typically if it's windy, I don't worry about it. Um, bringing it is just one thing I don't have to do, but I had never really thought about the ducks all moving the exact same based on the waves and looking like one motion. I'd never, I'd never considered that idea before. That's something you think about for sure. Yeah. I need to have it a little more often than just. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see your, uh, your stats on wing spinners too. Cause mm-hmm. you know, where, where we're at, it feels like they're, they're pretty effective early season, mm-hmm. but they become less and less effective as the season progresses. And as the birds get smarter, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, uh, we'll use the wing spinners early and then kind of middle of the season, like that late November into December. Um, Historically, we've kind of used it as like a long distance attraction, like get their attention mm-hmm. when they're hundreds of yards out, um, you know, four or 500 yards out. And then when they're coming in, stop the wings and let mm-hmm. the water motion finish them. That's kind of been yeah. our, our strategy now, whether that holds somewhere else, like where you're at. Um, it's hard to say. What do you, what do you experience with the wing spinners I use them almost all the time because I, I, I'm a spinner lover and, but I still, if, if birds are not doing what I want, one of the first things I try is pulling the spinner. And 
people all around say late season spinners flare ducks, and it just is not my experience. Every mm. single time I pull the spinner, I think out of all the times I've sold the spinner, maybe once or twice the situation improved. I just, if that were true in my area, that birds flare spinners, that when I'm having problems and I pull the spinner, I would assume that the things should improve. Yeah, get better. And they don't yeah. ever improve. They huh, almost always, they almost always get worse. It's almost always like ducks will come and look, but they just won't really act interested. And I'm like, well, maybe it's a spinner. And I pull the spinner and now they're not even looking at all. I mean, that's normally the scenario. Now, I yeah, will say that- I am biased. So I oftentimes my sample size is like, yeah, I pulled it for like 20 minutes, you know, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I am biased. And that, I actually was yeah. talking about that on the intro to this podcast before you came on. It's like it's so hard because we have like experiential data of like, well, this is what I experienced. Therefore, I believe that ducks do this based on this when there's so many variables and we've got such a small sample size. It's like in my life, let's say I've had a hundred hunts where I've tried this experiment where I've pulled the spinner. Well, that's still only a hundred. Uh, my data pool is still only a hundred, which is really, really yeah, small. small very so small. plus there's all these other variables. And there's no control on the variables at all. It's not a scientific method, mm-hmm. you know, like pulling a spinner and going, well, that didn't work, you know, so I know it doesn't yeah. work. It's like, there's, there's no variable control in that at all. Yeah. And then we live our whole life going, well, I know this is how it is. You know, when we yeah. don't, we don't know. <laughs> So yeah. I'm working well, on this app though. I want to get this that, data. That would be very, that would be very interesting. Well, last year we're hunting and we're like, so we're, you know, like the Gadwall and the, and the teal are coming in and, but the mallards are just not committing into this blind that, that mm-hmm. typically is like mallard heaven. Right. And right. so we're sitting in this blind and it's getting frustrating, right? We have a wing spinner out. We got our, our spreader out. We have a, a handful of other decoys out. It's not a huge spread, but so we pull the spinner and nothing still, they're still flaring. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at our setup and we have like pretty good cover. And I said, okay, let's just cover the blind completely. Let's not even shoot. (laughs) Right. Uh Just cover everything. The next handful of birds, whatever birds come in, we're not going to shoot. We're not going to pull up nothing. Six mallards in a row landed. It was 100% our cover, 100%. And I thought we had pretty good cover, but we clearly did not have good enough cover. So we fixed our cover. We ended up having a great hunt the rest of the morning. I think nine times out of 10, that's what it is. I agree. I agree. I think cover is huge. It's when you're flaring birds, you have to fix your cover first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, I had a very similar hunt last year. We were hunting in a spot that we had, we had hunted in before and we, it was an open pool with trees on the edge and we were just sitting under these trees and traditionally at this place that works. You can do that and not have a problem. So the ducks just were being weary. They weren't really finishing and we tried everything. We tried changing the decoys. We tried spinner. We finally, we were like, let's just move back 10 yards. Boom. That fixed the problem just like that. It's like, how many times do I have to say, you got to fix your hide first until I actually start doing that when I'm hunting? Until you do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The problem is, is a lot of times that's the most difficult fix, right? 
pretty easy yeah. to go pull your wings or you know pull decoys yeah. or rearrange your decoys or whatever you know so no doubt no doubt well let's let's move into unless you have any any other um comments on that topic but i'd like to move into the history of your property what it was like when you got it why you got it and this your development process from the beginning to the end like can you control water do you do planting or is it just natural stuff just kind of give us a overview of the property and also how can people see it because i know you guys have some hunts where people can go see it yeah yeah we do have some hunts on motion ducks uh youtube channel and so uh they can check it out there. There's a couple of drone flyover shots. You can see the property pretty good. Get an idea it's of what beautiful. it is. But yeah, it is, it is spectacular. Mm. It is, um, it's fun. The development of it is something is kind of, I, I would say one of our main goals. Um, you know, we, uh, well, where should I even start? I guess we, we've been looking, we had been looking for some property, um, you know, here and there, this property came up. We looked at the numbers. We said, okay, I think we can pull this off. Uh, long story short. Is it short, because you guys wanted to make the hunting easier? Like the rat race was getting to you? You're like, hey, we just want our own little place that's ours yeah. to control? Okay. I think the main thing was was with the company, um, you know, having a place to, to bring people, to collab mm. with people, to bring clients, to um, – you know, to, to do some filming, to do some promotional right. stuff, to test products. You know, it, it's difficult playing the public land hunting game is difficult. We're trying to come up with product ideas and test this and test that. Mm-hmm. And being on public land, it's just, you know, yeah, it's that it's just it's difficult. Right. It's difficult to count on something to say, OK, is this prop? you know, is this product worth developing stuff like that? So mm-hmm. in that regard, overall, I think the business is primarily what brought us out here. And so, um, but yeah, when we got it, it's, you know, we drove through and there's ducks coming. <laughs> it's <was> pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's deer with our first time touring the property. There's like a yeah. four point mule deer on the property during hunting. So it was, season. it was really set up from the get go. It was already pro- producing. It, it, it was in fact, in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, the guy that, uh, the guy bought the property and developed it into, uh, basically what it is today. And mm-hmm. he, there's a whole network of water where there's a bunch of ponds. You can close the gates, you can flood them, you can drain them. And, so there's a lot of water control aspects to the property. Nice. And so, you know, that's pretty amazing as far as, you know, you want water in this section, you want it dry. Um, over the, the last two years, we've started the process of planting. We put corn in, we've put millet in, um, and I don't think we haven't had a lot of success yet. Um, a lot of the ground where like in the ponds, I don't know if there's like a salt or something in the water, but it's not hmm. growing very good in certain areas. Now we have, we've had so the millets not coming up. The millets not coming up. Well, the corn, both of them corn and the, millet. yeah, neither, neither in, in the, in the main areas last year that we planted, um, I would say everything was pretty much a fail. We planted three or four locations. Um, one, one did okay. Like I would say mediocre, 
Um, and we, but we only shot a, a handful of birds out of that location. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we had two like semi-successful corn plantings, which mm-hmm. is exciting because I think it's something we can build on. I think it's something we can continue to say, okay, this type of grass area, if we till it up, um, was pretty successful. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so we may continue to develop that this next year. Um, so yeah, those, those are all things that, uh, that are very exciting. And we, we just plan on continuing to try to make the property better and better, better habitat, more food. The thing with the feed is there's so much, we're in farm country, right? So Mm-hmm. There's so much feed. So one of the things we've started talking about this year is actually creating more like protected habitat where mm-hmm. um, we have one specific location on the property where we might uh, we might go more of an angle of just letting it grow up naturally, letting it be mm-hmm. a protected area, never hunt it. And um, right you know, create just a, a habitat area that they can come to and not feel pressure. And so, right. um, because there's so much feed, I don't know if planting our specific ponds with corn or millet is, you know, is that the right answer? I'm not sure. We're, we're still going to, mm-hmm. we're still going to try it, right? We're going to test things and just learn as much as we can over the years, but that might not ultimately be the answer might be protection and area they can have you guys ever consulted with a biologist habitat specialist uh not a not like a specialist um but we've talked there's been two people to the property that have developed their own land um Mm -hmm. that we've we've brought in and picked their brain and took them on a tour and said what would you do here what would you do here so we have had some guidance and, uh, but no, we've never had like a biologist per se, or a specialist, somebody that, you know, does it professionally. Yeah. I've got we two of consider. my friends, two of my friends are, um, biologists and, and one has been working this waterfowl property in Kansas for, gosh, I don't know how many years, 20, 25 years. And he is unbelievably knowledgeable and then my my buddy who i hunt with all the time actually works under him and and has his biology degree and is actually the habitat specialist there so both of those guys are as good as it gets when it comes to these type of topics so if there's ever any way that i can i don't know hook you guys together for a consultation if you're ever interested in anything like that i certainly oh, yeah. have the resources of guys that are in the know for sure because yeah. they're doing yeah. a lot more research about the the role that insects play on um, waterfowl diet and managers like one of the guys I'm talking about, they're starting to manage for insects um, and having a lot of success with that. So if you're ever want me to put you in contact with these guys, I'd be happy to. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk with them. One of the things that I find interesting is we have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five ponds that seem to be like really popular. The ducks mm-hmm. are always on there, even in, 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 you know, out of season. Um, mm-hmm. That's, those are the first ponds that they go to. Well, there's, there's a handful of other ponds on the property. There's, 
one, two, three, four, five, like six other ponds that I can think of that don't, that just, they just don't go to. And I find hmm. that really interesting. Like, why do they pile up in these ponds when yeah. this pond is literally right next door? And the and habitat's the same on both of them? Or apparently? It's at least very similar. At least very mm -hmm. similar. But the bug thing could be could be part of it. Because it does yeah. it does feel like the ponds that they like to that they like to go go to dry out and maybe the bugs mm -hmm. come in. I'll guarantee it's that thing. drying out phase. I'll guarantee you is they they do a slow drawdown. Um so uh, when do you guys normally drain? Uh, February, March. Okay. Um, they do a slow they, drawdown they and they don't actually like draw down till like April or so. And, and there's, and I don't know how I, I'm no expert on this. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. These are just things that I'm hearing, but as they draw down, you can draw down at a certain pace, which produces wild millet to grow up. So the rate in which you draw down can actually affect what kind of plants come up. So there's all sorts of, it's a whole science to it. Um, but yeah, I would these, uh, definitely it's that it's not being drained. It's producing something because the whole draining part is extremely important. Two of the yeah. ponds that drain like that aren't controllable. It's a natural spring. And so mm -hmm. by February, that spring is, is dry. And so there's just mm -hmm. no water coming in. So we couldn't control those, but the two other ones we could. So that would be very interesting to to talk to somebody about i i think it would be i think it'd be awesome to talk to somebody that might have some of those answers yeah well we can certainly try to set something up like that well how cool is that though to be to, that would be the most rewarding thing i think about owning a property like yours it's yeah. like what you're doing right now it's like how yeah. can i do this and then you figure it out and then all of a sudden next season you're killing so many more ducks because of the decision <laughs> yeah. you made you yes, know totally that's gotta be cool. totally yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the only decision like that so far has been blinds, right? We, we mm -hmm. rebuilt our blinds. Um, so yeah. my, my dad, Tom, he, he, um, he's done a lot of the work. He did a lot of work this off season on like blinds and repairing them. And just because we learned so much from that, that poor cover and it's, it's already made a big difference this year, like already made a huge difference. Um, right. and so yeah, to see that kind of develop in the habitat is is gonna be mm -hmm. is gonna be fun because yeah. we're it like you said it is it is a lot of fun to do you know it's just you have these ideas and you invest some time and some money into this particular idea or location or spot or pond and to see changes you know to see birds reacting differently yeah it's it's just it's really neat. It's really neat. Yeah. And guys, if you want to see this property, you can go onto the Motion Ducks YouTube channel yep. and check it out. It's a really cool property. So make sure that you go and look at that. And remember, if you want to pick up the spreader system, it's just search Motion Ducks and the FDH10 is the 10% off code for that. So go pick yourself one up um, yes. for sure because it's really, it's really going to help you deal with that no win. It's going to help you harvest more ducks. So make sure and do that um well that's about all i really want to talk about i really enjoyed talking with you my goal was and i mentioned this in the in the intro is to make sure this didn't come off like an infomercial and it did not i mean this was really really fun really really fascinating 
fresh stuff that um, I hadn't talked to you about before. So I really, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's cool. It's fun to talk about for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else? Where can people find motion ducks? I'm sure you guys probably have an Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Every social medias are all at motion ducks. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, motion ducks.com is, uh, is the website to uh, pick up the product. Um, but everything else is at motion ducks. That's it. All right, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening. There'll be another episode coming out in a few days. So come back for more. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.